When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And as ever, I am joined by TV legend and radio commentator Daniel Norcross and ex-Middlesex legend and current Sussex Shark. Remains to be seen if he's any good or not. Mr. Stephen Finn. Uh, Finney, let's start with you. How are you, mate? How's the training going? Are you still batting like a right-handed Matthew Hayden? I've took a couple of weeks off the batting because I was getting too good at that. So mm. I, um, I've took a couple of weeks off from practicing that. I wasn't actually, I didn't think we'd started the podcast there. I was listening to your waffle for the last, what is it, 13 minutes, the, the preamble where I just sit here in silence for 10 minutes and waste another 10 minutes of my day whilst I'm listening to you two talk absolute garbage. Um, so yeah, it's nice to actually have this underway. And the sooner that it starts, the sooner it ends, to be quite frank. To be fair, once the podcast starts, you often sit there silent for 10 minutes and, and waste your day as well. So don't feel like that bit's over. No, no, true. Um, that's a big news this week. I, um, I moved my cats down to Brighton with me. They have been in London for the last um, month or six weeks or so, but I've got the cats down here with me this week. One of them's under the sofa and is refusing to come out. And the other one, I'm worried, is at a piss somewhere. Um, so um, yeah, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of days for me. You've got quite a nice cat, as I recall. It's it made a couple of appearances on the podcast before. Um, I don't yeah, think, she, you know, she just is she the pisser? Uh, no, she's uh, she was under the sofa, but she did literally just pop her head round. That's why I mentioned them. Hmm. Um, and then she's fucked off back under the sofa. So um, yeah, that, that's Ethel, the British short hair. Why Ethel? Why did you know a pisser called Ethel? Well, oddly enough, actually, my my, my mother—it's funny you should mention that because it's true. My, my mother did actually have a flatmate at university. She was at Leeds University in the early fifties, uh, and she had this mad flatmate. And uh, uh, this woman was in the bathroom for so long, my mum couldn't take it any longer, and so she pissed in the kettle, uh, Ethel's kettle. 
and uh, and then went back to bed. And then Ethel made a cup of tea with the. It was one of those like stove kettles. So it's a, it was family legend. Poor old Ethel made a cup of tea with my mum's boiled piss. To be fair, there's uh, there's clubs in Soho where you'd pay good money for that. So she was ahead of her time. She was ahead of your time, your mother Norcross. I've always said that. <laughs> Already, we're two minutes in, and we've already gone on on more tangents than I was hoping we would. Um, well, Vinny, why, why haven't you got a dog? Because cats are shit, and dogs are amazing. No, no, bollocks. Cats are much better than dogs. Nah, sorry, Vinny. No, 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 no. I would like a dog, and I've been borrowing a dog off um, borrowing my doggy, which is a a very well known app in the um, in the northern hemisphere where you um, where you go on and you um, you swipe left and right on dogs as if you're on Tinder. And then if they match you as well, you get to meet up with them and take them for a walk, and um, and they come and hang out at your house if you're lucky. So what I've, the fuck um, maps with you, an Afghan hound? I mean, or some um, sort of like, like a Doberman. No, I mean, what, a, how, how a, big is this dog that matches with you? What's it called? I can't find it. Borrow my doggy. It's not a Chihuahua, is it? I mean, you're not wandering around with a with a, a Dachshund or a Chihuahua. You've presumably got some like some Bernard. I'd like a Shepoo or a Cavapoo, but um, I, I've matched with a Cockapoo at the moment on there. Um, and I've been taking him a couple of times a week. Wilbur, I've got him on Wednesday this week. Um, so it would be me, Wilbur, Ethel and Elizabeth hanging out in the flat. <laughs> and you, you have a go at me about living in the 19th century. It's Wilbur's and Ethel's knocking around their fucking <laughs> centre. This is absolutely what? ludicrous. Why does Finney only match with people with names from the 1920s? It's bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? Well, the um, the other dog that I matched with in London, so my London dog, is called Doris. So we've got Doris, <laughs> Doris. Ethel, Wilbur, Elizabeth and Stephen hanging out in the flat. You need to meet Cedric and Arthur. I'm sure they'll be uh, absolutely yeah. delighted to come around. Well, I'm pleased that you've got your cats down there with you, Finney, mate. It's good to hear. I've got to ask you, Finney. I've seen a few clips on social media and I've been getting very, very excited. Oh, is that, Wait, is that, is that Ethel? Is that yeah, Ethel? Ethel, yeah. Big Ethel. unit. She Ethel. is a big she's unit. She's, a bit, she's got a bit of a prolapsed uh, undercarriage. Yeah, she's got, um, she's got an underhang, yeah. She's been well-fed. yeah. I'll be honest, it, I wasn't thinking that five minutes into the podcast we'd be talking about prolapsed undercarriages, but here we are. <laughs> Finny, I've got to ask you, I've been looking on social media and I've been getting very, very excited about it. Uh, clips of Joffre Archer having a bowl. And uh, he looks pretty He looks pretty handy, that Joffre Archer. Have you been able to see any of him bowling in the nets? Uh, no, he was here for a few days, um, I think, to see the physios and catch up with some people. And then he um, went back to Barbados, I think, probably to train with the England team whilst they're over in the Caribbean. So he popped in for a couple of days. Uh, we had a couple of quick chats and um, and then he got back into back back on the plane back to Barbados. So I haven't seen too much of him, though. Um, but I'm looking forward to not having to face him in the nets, hopefully. Yeah, he's gone out there with uh, with Ollie Stone, I think. So both of them are going to bowl at the England boys when they're out there. Uh, very quickly, because we have got a very awesome guest joining us in about 10 minutes or so time. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about England's upcoming tour of the West Indies, which is getting nearer and nearer. We'll talk a lot more about it next week, of course. But the big news is we discussed the squad when it was announced a while ago. Um, Joe Root has confirmed in the last week or so that he is going to move up to free and he's going to bat at free, which... Um, I kind of get his reasoning. He feels like, obviously, England have been two down far too often for far too few over the last couple of years, and he wants to take a bit of leadership, a bit of responsibility. I guess the risk with that is he's been bloody good batting at number four. Uh, probably the best batsman in the world, actually, in Test cricket batting at number four. 
And England can't really take too much risk with their batting lineup the way it's been the last couple of years. Uh, Finney, what do you make of it? Um, is is it a bit of a psychological thing? Is there a huge difference in batting at three and four, especially in this England team? It's normally only about one ball apart. Uh, do you think it's a good move from Rooty? Yeah, I think it balances the team better, doesn't it? It um, stops the search or stops the big search for... Um, actually, we've got big news here. Ethel has entered the litter tray for the first time since she got down here. So this could be interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, keep, yeah keep I'll us keep updated. updated on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think certainly Root batting at three uh, is a good thing for the team. It means that someone slightly younger, it looks as though I think from the team that they've released for the first warm-up game, that Dan Lawrence is going to bat at four. So it gives him an opportunity not as exposed to the new ball. And typically, I mean, we've heard a lot of good ex-players talk about how your best batter bats at number three and the one best equipped to deal with um, a newish ball bats at number three. And there's no doubt that Joe Root is that. And if he's willing to take on the responsibility, then um, then why not? Yeah, it seems a bit of a shame that we've had to spend three or four years wondering about who's going to be at number three because Joe Root didn't want to be at number three. And then uh, David Milan has got a chance and has done it pretty well for a while. And then he has three bad test matches at the back end of a terrible tour where everybody else is batting badly. And then suddenly he's not number three anymore. So uh, it might be the right decision, but it seems to have been come to about three or four years too late to me. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's an argument for that. I, I would say on the flip side of that, that he's now played 22 test matches, Milan, and he's averaging 27.5. So it's not just that Australia series in isolation. And mm. also he's not getting any younger. He's 34. If Anderson and Broad have been seemingly dropped for for being a bit old, then Milan, who's not got as much credit in the bank as those two, his head's probably on the chopping block as oh, well. No. Batters, batters are allowed to play forever, aren't they? We all know that. Jack, Jack Hobbs made 100 hundreds after the age of 40. It's a batsman's game. Yeah, but cricket tell was, you that. as we've discussed, cricket was shit back then. Imagine a batsman in this day and age scoring 100 hundreds after the age of 40. Or but actually scoring 100 hundreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good start. <laughs> to be fair, I'll caveat that with obviously Darren Stevens is going to do that. But everybody else... That would be exceptional. Uh, any update on Ethel's trip to the litter tray, Finney? Um, yeah, she's finished and she's just sat here looking at me now. She seems a lot more comfortable, which um, which is important. Hold on. There we go. Uh, number one or number oh, two? Yeah, she, oh, she does look comfortable, doesn't she? Look, she just crossed her arm. She's having a little lick. Yeah, I think, it's number, I think it was a number one. I'm the ball by baller and Finney's the summariser, so I have mm. to give you the running commentary. So she's gone down for the full lick on the left paw, the head's nodding back and forth, ears going from side to side. And uh, now she's old. She might be going in for an undercarriage, and who knows, maybe all the way around to the arse. Finney, what do you, <laughs> uh, what, what do you reckon? Is that, is that a good technique? Well, no. Usually when she does her arse, she, um, she gets down on her back, spreads her legs nice and wide, and, um, and gets her head down in amongst it. So it uh, doesn't look as though she's going for the arse just yet. Okay, right, just for the left flank. Okay. Mm. We'll, we'll do keep us updated on, on that, more as we get it. And I know that the, the listeners will be desperate to know where Ethel is licking next. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but strangely enough, I had a friend who wants to well, put Marmite. No, I don't want to go on to that anymore. Anyway. <laughs> Finny, by the way, that's, I see in the background there behind Ethel's licking, you've got the New Zealand-South Africa game on. We kind of haven't timed this recording of this podcast brilliantly because I do want to discuss this New Zealand-South Africa test match. It looks like New Zealand are going to lose. They're Why not just feet. say it? Why don't you just imagine that it's at the should end we, of it? So should we just fucking New call Zealand it? New Zealand have lost by a couple of hundred runs. 
Should we just call it? Uh, yeah. But it's a hell of a turnaround in that test match because South Africa got absolutely battered in the first test match of this series. But uh, they've, we think, won this second test match. And um, they've had this opener. Erwi score 108 on debut. I feel like South Africa is just a bit of a conveyor belt of talent, really. I know they've had a lean few years, South Africa. But you do always kind of feel like there's going to be a hell of a player just around the corner. When you've been over there, Finney, I feel like whenever we've got, you know, the, the very crap standard of cricket I play at, we have all these overseas South African lads come over and they're all shit hot. It feels like South Africa is a ridiculously talented cricketing country and probably should have a better test team at all times than it does sometimes. The, the standard of cricket that you play is less than shit. <laughs> it, it, it is some of the biggest load of tripe tripey shitty wank that anyone's ever seen greater cricket field in their life so I, I think relaying your experiences and trying to um, make assimilation between mine and your cricketing experiences is something quite stupid of you but um, <laughs> South Africa are probably the best cricket team that I ever played against that team in 2012 that came here and became number one in the world from one to 11. They were world-class players. So I found them the most challenging opponents that I, um, that I ever played against. But yeah, they do seem to have a conveyor belt of quick bowlers because the, the pitches over there suit quicker bowlers. So Janssen is burst onto the scene, hasn't he, this year or last year rather. Um, and that series that I played down there in 2015-16, was Rabada's first series and he was really raw but bowled quick and uh, I think he took 11 wickets in the fourth test match and he was off and running and now he's one of the finest fast bowlers in the world. Interesting, isn't it? In interesting that you think that their fast bowlers tend to get blooded in South Africa and in the South African system quite young but their batters take a little bit longer and you look at someone like Kevin Peterson, for example, uh, Nick Compton, who, who's, who is fairly South African has quite a strong South African accent They've tended to come good in England. And another one who is doing exactly that is Daniel Beddingham at Durham. And there's a lot of interest there because don't quite know which way he's going to jump. Is he going to go for English test status or South African test status? And uh, it seems to me that England have been quite lucky recipients of good South Africans who bat coming good later in life. We haven't had any of the bowlers. We haven't. I don't. I can't think of a single South African bowler who's. We almost jacked Harmer, didn't we? Almost, but uh, yeah, but it, it. You know, once he's forty, I, I still think there was a. We should have picked him for the India tour last year, and forced his hand. But you know. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about this betting. I mean, he's no player in the world has scored more first-class runs in the last twelve months than Beddingham between uh, South Africa and and over here for Durham as well. Um, and I want to go back to Rabada because I was looking at his stats earlier this week, funny enough, because, you know, I don't have a life. And he's still 26, which feels ridiculous because it feels like he's been around forever. 26 years old. He's got his Doesn't best years injured, does he? Doesn't get he injured. Never gets I mean, injured. When, you, when, you, when you look at the, the fast bowlers that come onto the scene young and people like Pat Cummins, who famously had that brilliant start to his career in South Africa, and then was out with injuries. We've seen Hazelwood come down with injuries. English bowlers, Ollie Stone, Joffre Archer. I mean, you know, the list is enormous. But Rabada, I mean, he's, he's managed to maintain an international career for the best part of six, seven years with, with not a lot in the way of injuries. Yeah, and he's got, I, I think he's got beautiful action as well, which helps. 
yeah, he's got lovely, simple action. Everything comes straight over the top. He's actually bowling now on my TV. His, his bowling uh, action nearly as beautiful as the way that Ethel licks herself so gracefully, actually. It's very similar. Hold on, she's disappeared again now. She might have gone somewhere private to do the good bits. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, she... Um, but Rabada, um, actually, he tweeted me a long time ago, about 10 years ago, before well, he'd have been a kid, really. And, and I was playing for England and doing pretty well. And, and he tweeted me saying, at Finney Steve, can I get a retweet? Love your bowling or something like that. And I didn't see it till about eight years later when he was a superstar and I was a washed up fuck on the international scene. Mm. Um, so I, I retweeted it and said, here's your retweet. And, um, and he didn't follow me and wanted nothing to do with it. Let, <laughs> so, um, let, let that be yeah. a lesson to you, Finney. You see, you've got to, you, if you don't help out people on their way up, this is what they'll do when they get to the top. Mm. And I, I totally well, get when that. I'm on the way back past. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, always, always keep, you know, you probably employed somebody at that point to look at your tweets, did you? Uh, yeah. No, I wasn't as rich as you. Finney had a Russian bot farm off, off the coast somewhere that just ignored people permanently on his behalf, basically. But that's it, Finney. You should have, you should have learned your lesson there. And then you thought you were too Billy Big Bollocks to retweet some poor young South African bowler who was just making his way in this crazy world. And then, and now look at you. I was so famous that I just couldn't get over, um, couldn't get over how many tweets and stuff I was getting. So it was just an oversight on my part. Well, look at you now. Rabada's on your TV right now, playing in his fifty-second test my match. Cat. <laughs> I'm watching my cat lick its ass and, ch- and chatting yeah. to me and Norcross. Sliding so, doors, yeah. eh? Sliding won- doors. What a sorry, come down. He won the long game, didn't he? He won the long game. Uh, now I'm very excited to introduce our very special guest who is joining us uh, for this week's podcast. Atif, are you there? I saw him pop up. There he is. Hey, guys. I'm well. How are you guys doing? Why, why is uh, Finney and his cat getting so much abuse? Uh, it's not abuse. It's not abuse. He's, he's got a cat called Ethel, which is beautifully recherche. And uh, it chose this moment to go. And, uh, he's just moved it from London to Brighton. It's quite nervous, apparently. And it's um, just done its first shit in the litter tray. So Finney's like no, 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 a no, wait, 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 wait. Wait a second. What is recherche? You can't just drop random French fancy words in conversation. Look, I know, I know Brexit happened, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't remember that, you know, the French exist. You know, you, you'll know very well, because I've heard you talk about this man many times, Artif. Marcel Proust's a la recherche de ton perdu. A look back at times past. And they're one of your favourite books, I believe. Uh, the recherche. Recherche. From the is, mind. Yeah, it's simply from, from the mind that wanted to make uh, the five ball sets in the hundred carnets, uh, which kind of right. makes sense. It makes <laughs> sense, but it, I don't think it's what the ECB had in mind when they were trying to make the game accessible uh, to like a, a, a working class audience. Yeah, but it worked. But yeah. it, worked it worked really well, Artie, because 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 when you go to the Paris Metro, as you know, you buy tickets in fives or tens. You buy either the le petit carnet or le grand carnet. And it struck me that, you know, that was like, well, in the end, I decided that a, a five ball over should be called a Lady Godiva because it's a fiver. And what did we decide for the 10? I, I don't know. I don't listen to you when you talk this bollocks. <laughs> Can't remember what the 10 was now. No, no, you decided something for the 10 and me and Finney couldn't care less and ignored you. And then we moved on and talked about something else. I was just trying to... even talking to me. I'm thinking of turning this off. <laughs> <laughs> 
100 is supposed to be for everybody, isn't it? It's supposed to be trying to bring the game to everybody. You know, we don't have to just like fixate over some nine year old in Tunbridge Wells. You know, we, we need to bring the 45 year old who's never seen any cricket on TV. We need, we need to bring in you know, the whole country is united. I could, in I the over disagree more. women's victory in the uh, I, I felt they were. In the in the hundred at Lords last year, I felt oh, a great groundswell of support for them. I completely disagree. I think the hundred was purely designed to get rid of old fucks like you that have been dragging this sport back for the last fifty years. I think, and yet there I was, an instant Oval Invincibles fan, screaming "Cap C, Cap C" at the top of my voice. I mean, this is the thing: you can't get rid of us. We hang around like the smell of lavender and wee from an old woman's house. Like the smell of Ethel has just left in Finney's <laughs> front room. Exactly, yeah. Uh, now, now, Artif, you have had the uh, the honour and the pleasure of working with both Norcross and Stephen Finn. From from your point of view, you know, um, how much longer has Norcross got left and how much is Finney the future of uh, British cricket radio? The bloody leading question. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah I, I, it's, it's uh, I mean, I, I, I hate being nice to people at the best of times. But uh, I, I have this really sad feeling that Norcross is going to outlive all of us and uh, and kind of eventually just be this omnipresent. Like they're going to name commentary booths after him in an attempt to convince him to retire, but he won't. He'll still be there long, <laughs> long past his best. He's going to be around for a very, very long time. I'm already uh, long past be... my best. The only, well, I'll be... the only booths they'll name after Norcross are the ones in Amsterdam, I think, not commentary booths. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. You answered what I thought Finney's going to be doing next year. So uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> a, mighty, a mighty fall from grace. Tell you what, if he was as flexible as Effel, he'd earn some good money in Amsterdam, I'll tell you. <laughs> I was thinking about the booths and the museums, by the way. Like, I was thinking like the Van Gogh or something. You know, the artists uh, hang out. That's what I was thinking. Cultural, I got you. I got yeah, you. I hear you. The canals. I go to Amsterdam. I go to Amsterdam for the canals. I don't know about you guys, but I go for the canals and the yeah. art. I go there to steal a bike. Uh, it's because uh, they leave, they leave them unchained all the way around there, and it's it's actually a really efficient way of getting around Europe. Get a Eurostar to Amsterdam, then steal a bike. <laughs> it is it is absolutely bonkers when you go to Amsterdam. There's way more bikes than people. Every single place that a bike could be parked, there's a ten bikes parked. It's ridiculous. Uh, now, Atif, we didn't just bring you on to uh, wax lyrical about Norcross and Finney. Uh, we want to talk to you about the very exciting Australia-Pakistan series that's coming up. I should say Pakistan-Australia. The first time that Australia have been to Pakistan since 1998. Can you give us an idea of, of what this means to Pakistan and, and Pakistan cricket fans in particular? It's huge, man. Like you say, 24 years. I mean, cricket has come back to Pakistan. It was Sri Lanka who the team where it kind of stopped were the first team back. And that was a huge moment as well in 2019. And then, uh, you know, we've had various other teams come for bits and pieces. But Australia is like the kind of, it's a really big team, right? England, Australia, mm. they were the first ones there, right? So to have them come over to Pakistan, it feels like a really big deal. Pakistani media and Pakistani fans online, they're obsessed. Like every single Australian cricket player's Instagram story is being force-fed not just on like social media, but on like mainstream news channels. But the truth <laughs> is people are so excited. Like the simplest thing, I was telling Norcross earlier as well, like there was literally a post of, uh, I think it was um, uh, Pat Cummins or someone having a chicken tikka masala. And they were like, oh my God, he's having chicken tikka masala. And I, part of me was like, they have that in Australia. Like it's not specific <laughs> to Islamabad. They have chicken tikka masala in Australia, but they, everybody's so excited to have them there. 
obviously there's like this box office quality to it as well because Pakistani cricket's having a massive renaissance and uh, like the Australian team obviously is coming off the big wins uh, in the ashes and um, then you know all the the kind of the, the momentum and all the stuff that they've built up coming up coming through to Pakistan and there's a lot of goodwill as well you know Pakistanis haven't really forgotten what happened with England and New Zealand last year there's still a little bit of anger there uh, it's been somewhat pacified by the 23, 22 uh, British players that came and played in the PSL. But there's still that feeling of like, you know, international cricket is international cricket. Doesn't matter how how much the PSL banged, which and it really banged. They loved it. Uh, everybody loved it. It was a good competition. Right now, Pakistan is in like a honeymoon phase with cricket. So it, it didn't have to be Australia, to be fair. It could have been Afghanistan. It could have been Ireland. It could have been Zimbabwe. It could have been anybody. Who came over and there would have been a lot of a huge appetite just off the back of the good vibes off the PSL. But because it's Australia, it feels huge. And and also, I mean, look, look, you know, the elephant in the room, let's not let's not run away from it. It's an essentially white team that's coming over. And the fear that's been expressed by I mean, Australia quite a lot about touring in certain places, but also by England. Um, and to a degree, New Zealand, about going to places that are perceived as dangerous terrorist hotspots. You know, this is what normalising cricket starts to look like, doesn't it? If a team like Australia goes there, I know it shouldn't be like that, but it's true, isn't it? If Australia go and England go and New Zealand go, then we start to get back to the kind of what we might think of as normalised relations between all the test-playing nations, but with the other elephant in the room being India not playing against Pakistan. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge thing. Pakistan on its roadmap has hosting the Champions Trophy in a couple of years as well. So it's doubly crucial for them to be viewed globally as like a safe and cool place to go play cricket. Now, as I say, all the English players and all the overseas players, in fact, who came over to the PSL, every single one of them had nothing but amazing things to say about it. I mean, Alex Hills couldn't even keep away for a week. Like, he went home because he was <laughs> tired and he flew straight back. He's like, I need to get me more of that, but he's done. That whole PSL thing has done the done the big part of that diplomatic battle of like making Pakistan this exciting but anybody who watched it on on Sky in England and you know all the, the 50 million broadcasters that they've been on over the last six weeks they saw that packed stadium in Lahore and the slightly less packed stadium in Karachi as is to be expected because of you know it's Karachi what are you going to do so Lahore is 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 uh, it looked beautiful the scenes in Lahore looked amazing the fans were really up for it had this carnivalesque atmosphere no real controversies no real uh, issues coming out of it. No bubble issues. Nobody got COVID or anything like that. So it was it was great. Like it was such a wonderful tournament, and people are anxious for more. So this Australia tour, with the test format as well, you know, that's historically slightly underappreciated. Like if you went through the archives and looked at footage of Test cricket in Pakistan, you might see a few empty stadiums uh, from time to time. But right now, you're going to see some packed stadiums in Islamabad. Well, in Rawalpindi for the first Test match, uh, and, and despite the crazy amount of security they've got for these test matches i reckon it's going to be rammed i, I can't wait for it i really can't because as a kid i grew up watching you know everyone went to pakistan and it was a great tour by the way who had nine minutes on the sweepstake for when artif would upset uh the good people of karachi by the way we were told <laughs> that uh we were told it'd only be a matter of time finney i want to come to you mate because you would have uh you would have played against some serious pakistan teams over the years and they've always always even when pakistan's team isn't playing particularly well there's always a couple of superstars and a couple of box office players. And certainly this squad with uh, Rizwan and Azhar Ali and Babar Azam and all these names. And uh, Afridi, of course, is unbelievable. 
What, who were the unbelievable Pakistan players you must have bowled at in your time? Uh, Yunus Khan, Mohammed Yusuf, um, the wonderful player, Mohammed Yusuf. Mm. Um, I played in the, um, the 2010 series as well, where Mohammed Asif bowled um, and Mohammed Amir burst onto the scene. They were obviously made famous in that series for other reasons, but the, the standard of their bowling and, and the quality of what came out of their hand as bowlers in that series was just phenomenal. And you just know always that Pakistan are going to develop guys who do special things. Um, and every single Pakistan team that I've played against have just had a, a phenomenal talent in there that, um, that is up with, there with the best in the world. Uh, and I've always enjoyed playing against Pakistan. And Saeed Ajmal actually was the person, our chief destroyer over the course of a number of series where we just couldn't pick him that he was lasering these things in and no one knew which way they were turning. And for Pakistan to produce people like that um, was, uh, was wonderful. I did um, rub the great people of Pakistan up the wrong way once, though, because I had an accidental shoulder-to-shoulder with Syed Ajmal in 2012 in, um, in the Dubai Sports City Stadium. And when you slow it down, like, you know, when you slow things down, it looked like I'd literally, like, gone shoulder to shoulder with him and then just like barged him out the way. <laughs> it's not what happened. But when you slowed it down, it looked dreadful. And then I checked my Twitter afterwards and I'd enraged the whole of Pakistan. It was, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting couple of hours on my Twitter feed scrolling through. Well, for um, a start, it wouldn't but, have been shoulder to shoulder, would it? It have been shoulder to temple. I was going to say, poor thing, you're about <laughs> six foot seven, he bowls off spin, poor thing. <laughs> Pick on the small guy. It was guy. one of those ones where, you know where it hits the batter and it like falls at his feet and they run a quick single and I was literally just running neck and neck with him and yeah and then when you slowed it down it looked like like his my hip when it was in his shoulder my elbow was on his head and I just like pushed him out the way but it's not <laughs> how I remember it. <laughs> no, no wonder he didn't reply to Rabad. He probably tweeted on the same day you were getting loads of death threats from Pakistan and it got lost in there somewhere. <laughs> but I've always loved playing against Pakistan. Yeah. I played also, sorry, one more. I played in the game where Mizbah Huck scored the hundred at Lords. He scored it off me actually, um, behind point to get his hundred. And then you want to get mad when when Pakistan celebrated like that and you're sat there on the balcony going, oh God, they're doing press-ups here. But you couldn't help but love it and smile. And, and I think that that's something that Pakistan always brings is like a cheekiness about them. So I've always loved playing against them. But Finney, have you, have you, ever, have you ever played in Pakistan? Uh, no, I travelled to Pakistan once for the PSL final in 2018 to Karachi. And I went there, didn't play, so carried the drinks, stayed two nights in Karachi and came back with the worst case of Shigella that I'd, um, or the worst case of food poisoning that has ever been known to mankind. Um, so I'd like to go back at some stage to have a different experience. That's Karachi well, for you, isn't it's it? Karachi. It's Karachi. Exactly. Karachi. <laughs> don't, let, don't hold the rest of Pakistan to Karachi standards. For you. Trust me. We'll take it to Lahore. We'll take it to Islamabad, Multan, Abdabad, wherever it is you want to go. But don't, you, don't worry. You've done Karachi now. Don't worry about that. We'll take it to the nice, we'll take it to the nice places. Well, I want to ask Artif about this, though, because it's, I mean, it's incredible that Finney Right, as, as at the end of a, an incredibly long and um, mostly successful career, and has never played in Pakistan. Right, you know, one of the countries that has been playing Test cricket throughout my horribly long, tedious lifetime. 
He's never played there. So what are we what are we going to expect to see on test match pitches in Pakistan? Because one of the things that I think a lot of uh, English people will imagine happens in Pakistan is it's a subcontinent country. So everybody in England thinks all subcontinent countries play the same. You've got to, you've got to be good against spin. Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh. Yet Pakistan actually churn out almost literally churn out, if that's possible, fast bowlers, unbelievably good fast bowlers, and good spinners, mentioned Saeed Ajmal, but it's not spinners galore. So what what are we going to see? What's going on out there? What are these pitches we can expect? So Pakistan's actually quite diverse for its pitches. Like So depending on which city you're in, you get a very different surface, as is most of the subcontinent, to be fair. I mean, even Bangladesh, like I, I heard Ravi Bopara the other day talk about how uh, Bangladesh is in his opinion, the hardest place to bat in the world right now, uh, just because of the way they prepare their pitches. And, you know, that's an interesting perspective, but it just shows how diverse those pitches are. And you talk about, like, you know, Finney's only been to Pakistan the one time, but, like, the whole of the Pakistan test team that played that test match against Sri Lanka in 2019, for all of them, it was their first ever home test match. All 12 players who were in that lineup. It's that extraordinary, right? Mm. When you think about it. But of course, since then, they've had a couple of tours. They've had South Africa over as well. So, you know, they've got more accustomed to playing long form matches in those conditions. And they've got the guy, the Azam Trophy. The Ralpindi pitch, it's been very good for Seamers recently. So, uh, in the series against South Africa, I believe it was Hassan Ali who was the chief destroyer with his quicks, and he ended up with a five wicket haul. And the Seam Shah the year prior against Sri Lanka uh, got a hat trick. I think he became the youngest or second youngest or something, something to be some kind of record to do with hat tricks, but he got a hat trick anyway. And, you know, so it is a seamers like it's where the seamers thrive. And there's a ton of spinners who do come through and Pakistan have some great options with spinners as well. And now they've got even more options coming through. They've got people like Shadab who's there, but there's Yasser Shah who's there. And then there's a whole new crop of talent who've been producing in the guy, the Azam trophy, so the, which is the, the version of the county championship. So they've got to now work out what their balance is, but I foresee them, going very much with a tried and tested this is our 11 so very similar to the t20 and the and the and the white ball sides that they put out but with the likes of azar ali uh back in the mix the top two obviously are different imams getting a look in i was disappointed that uh, um nasim shah and hasnan hasnan obviously he's got other issues but uh, nasim shah couldn't get in the preliminary squad he's in the reserves uh squad but um there's i mean you're gonna see shaheen afridi you're gonna see hasan ali uh bowling to you know, Lambashane and Smith in Pakistan. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. And you're right. I don't know why people over-index on the spin so much, you know? Um, yeah. Well, they do. The, but they, the, they do. And, and and I think it's because of, of that expectation of what Pakistan is. But I want to put to you another, another theory that I've been working on. Oh, God. Fucking strap yourselves in, Philly. Bloody yeah, hell. 10 Dan's minutes got, here. Dan's Jesus got a Christ. theory. God. It's a quick theory. It's a quick theory. Pakistan have played their home matches. As Artif said, 12 players made their debut, their home debut in 2019. They've been playing all these games in the UAE. They have to get their money from getting into other leagues like the CPL, like the Blast, like the 100, uh, anything other than the IPL, quite frankly, the BBL. Is there an argument? And yet they play, they grow up and play their cricket up to the age of 18, 20, whenever they can start like looking ahead in Pakistan. Is there an argument that they might be the most adaptable cricketers in the world? There is an argument for sure. They they do travel a lot, but the system in Pakistan 
uh, is very much there to reinforce the team. You know how there's a whole discussion about English cricket at the moment and like, are we doing everything we can to make sure we've got the best possible test team? If the goal is, I don't believe it should be, but like if the goal is to always, everything should always be building towards the ashes yeah. and does our domestic structure uh, you know, back that up or make that happen. In Pakistan, they've actually got the system exactly right for what they want to do. They've got two T20 competitions, one franchise, one like a less kind of bells and whistles on it and stuff, but it's still very, very uh, high standard, the national T20. And that, that takes care of the... Who thought that was possible, Who thought that was possible? You could have two T20 tournaments in a country instead of one T20 tournament and one hundred ball. <laughs> oh, you know, I I think you're gonna love the hundred ball one when the ninety ball one comes along. But well, that's another chat for another day. But, I mean, like, they've got that. They've got the one day the Pakistan Cup, which is played in a fifty over format, and then of course the Qaeda Azam Trophy. And all of the players are encouraged to you know pursue those formats. Nowadays, there's not a lot of glory uh, in playing Test cricket. Now I know in England you've got players like Ben Folks and people who have the luxury of pursuing the long form game. Uh, you know, and pushing away white ball cricket. But in South Asia, if you want the that if you want to make the big bucks, right, you've got to play white ball cricket. So to incentivize people to play test cricket is very, very difficult. Most of the time, your world class guys are always going to be uh, cross format, right? Your Barbers, your Shaheens, your Hassan Ali's, your Mohammed Rizwan's. So like that in that regard, Pakistan's tried to create this like this little pathway of for these players to come through uh sean masood is one of those guys but again he, all of these players have ambitions they're so ambitious they want to play t20 cricket they want to be playing in the psl and going abroad and getting blast contracts and bash contracts and you know one day maybe ipl contracts uh like that's they, they want to do they want to play everything so to your point they are the most adaptable team in the world and their system helps them be that so this summer, there's a lot of Pakistanis playing in English domestic cricket, aren't there? There's um, Shaheen Shah Afridi. We've got Mohammad Rizwan at Sussex. Uh, there's a number of others coming across to play. How how likely is it, do you think, that Pakistan are going to let those guys come and play an entire season? Because there's still a small part of me that thinks that anyone with with any degree of sensibleness about them is not going to let Shaheen Shah Afridi come and play 16 championship games in the UK over the course of the summer. Oh, Finney, why did you go to Sussex, man? (laughs) Why did you do it? You could have, look, it could have been you and Shaheen. You could have been you and Shaheen. No, I've got to face him. (laughs) Yeah, I've got to face him. He would have been the tallest opening attack ever. You know, it'd be super tall and like, you know, and it would have been beautiful. Like the marketing just writes itself like, and you've just gone over to Sussex and why like I know they've got a nice beach and everything and Arundel's lovely but London man it, it's 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 very very nice of you to think that Finney would have got in the side <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> it was kind of Shaheen or Finney wasn't it really <laughs> feels that way yeah oh mate oh the posters would have looked good but as you say I think I think the PCB are quite keen for like Rami Raja who's the CEO now he's very very hands on in Pakistan like he really really rates and respects the county system as he should uh, he's you know kind of the people like Wakar Yunus and Wasim Akram who waxed lyrical about their times at you know Sarah Lancashire, Glamorgan, you know, they they talk about how that kind of was a nice finishing school for them. I, th- I would argue that this year, Middlesex, for example, do get better value by having a player like Shaheen. You know, Shaheen is 21 years old 
and he's currently the ICC Player of the Year. He's arguably the best bowler in the world. He's just won a PSL winner's medal. He was a top wicket taker in the PSL. Oh, by the way, also captain the winning team. So he's got accolade after accolade, immense marketing, huge following. And Middlesex have snapped him up at a time where the PR isn't great when it comes to uh, EDI stuff. So I think, like, you know, they, they're going to get immense value from Shaheen on and off the pitch. Either the PCB will give them plenty of space to try and get as many of those commitments uh, done as possible. At the moment, the moment a quality fast bowler enters into the county championship, he gets a stress fracture of the back, though. So I think... <laughs> what, what, no! What don't say these things! Is that Sha- Shaheen's about to be out for a year and a half. <laughs> And, you know, it's still one of my favourite things of every summer as well when Mohamed Abbas turns up in April and just absolutely tears shit up as well. Yeah. What best- happened to Mohamed Abbas? That they can yeah. leave him out. Oh, the no. fastest man to 50 wickets in test history. Oh, he's just entirely gone and forgotten. He's playing for, <laughs> no. playing for Hampshire. He's not, he's not forgotten. He's very much in their plans. But the, it just tells you how much competition there is, right? I mean, there was a time where... You know, you had to incorporate. There, there's no shortage of quality fast bowlers in Pakistan. You just got to watch the PSL to know that. Uh, and, and obviously, beyond that, in the guy, the and there's other bowlers that didn't get a crack. But Mir Hamza, he looked so good in this tournament. He's only had the one game uh, for Pakistan internationally, but he's definitely going to get another crack at some point. Zaman Khan, uh, who I think won the emerging player of the PSL. Like he looked brilliant as well. He's got a side on Malinga style action, which I, I, I you know, which kind of makes me want to keep him away from Australians. But never mind. Um, <laughs> I, you know, there's so many options for Pakistan in Test cricket, and they're all really excited. Imagine if you can put Nasim Shah, who for my money is one of the most exciting young bowlers in the world right now. If you don't even have to include him in your first twelve, like imagine the depth you're working with, man. Like uh, Abbas, like he's probably enjoying himself, like over here in Leicester, like uh, just taking a ton of wickets here in England. Uh, and just chilling and enjoying himself. Like, I got, spent some time with the guy. I, li- I understand that he likes to enjoy himself. So, you know, he's got time to do that. Hey, look, it's, <laughs> it's very cool that you're leaving that kid out, but it's not quite as badass as leaving out Anderson abroad for an entire test series. That, that's when you know you've got strength and depth, I'll have you know. Uh, very quickly, because we, we, we do have to wrap up, but uh, I want to ask you, because obviously the Women's World Cup starts this week as well. Uh, Pakistan women are going to be there. Um, I did have a cheeky look at the odds going around for the tournament and Pakistan women at 66 to 1. Only Bangladesh women have worse odds at 100 to 1 or better odds, depending on how brave a gambling man you are. But uh, not too much expectations for the Pakistan women at the World Cup. Well, it's funny you say that because ah, right, prior to, uh, to prior to two days ago, those odds were a lot longer. Pakistan were joint. Uh, least likely to win the World Cup, but they they beat New Zealand in a warm up game, uh, and nobody noticed because obviously there was a lot of uh, there was the India Sri Lanka game in the PSL final, all that stuff. But Pakistan's women beat New Zealand for the first time ever, by the way, in their warm up game. They've had a terrific camp. They've actually got a chairman who really believes in them now. They've got proper domestic infrastructure and some really exciting players, including the women's emerging player of the year, Fatima Sana, who's in their side as well. So I don't know if I expect them to lift the cup. But they're going to win a couple of matches and, you know, uh, they're going to upset the apple cart, as it were, I reckon. But we all know England's going to win. What, 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 we, look at, <laughs> what we look at in the Women's World Cup, frankly, uh, the, because of the nature of where women's cricket is at, it, the exciting stories are in teams like Pakistan. They're in stories about Bangladesh. They're about what progress has South Africa made by having a really settled side over quite a while. But it's also looking at the decay in other sides, you know, the, the West Indies, who are a really challenging side and have been for many years, but just seem to be in complete disarray. 
and New Zealand, frankly, the hosts. There's been a lot of pressure on the hosts because they've been a really good side, and yet their results are strangely inconsistent. Can't quite make sense of it. And then, obviously, the elephant in the room is how do you beat Australia? And the thing with Australia is every country in women's cricket knows that Australia, they don't like it up and if any hint of actually somebody coming back at them and they get the panics. Now, the problem is that nobody really is ever on top when they're playing against Australia. So you very seldom find out. But it has happened when uh, Sri Lanka, the Sri Lanka batter uh, smashed them to all parts in the 2017 World Cup. And indeed, when things start to get a little bit hairy against India, they and then finally, you know, against England, it's happened occasionally, and you see the little faces drop. You see the thin-lipped Meg Lanning having nowhere to go, not knowing what to do. I think the problem with Australia is at the moment that they are so unbelievably good. They have added Talia McGrath into that side, and she is a game-changing woman cricketer. I think, you know, we used to think Elise Perry was the, the gold standard, the amazing thing in women's cricket. Talia McGrath is astounding. She times the ball like... Very few women, Shafali Verma, maybe. She times it about like she does. And yet she also bowls like a supercharged Nat Siver. I mean, she is, she's like um, Andrew Flintoff and Matthew Hayden in one. I mean, it's a kind of <laughs> terrifying prospect in women's <laughs> cricket. Uh, so I don't know. I can't see really beyond Australia unless they get really spooked by a crazy innings. Harmon Pre-Core produce that it was Harman Pre, wasn't it? Produced that incredible innings against them in the last World Cup. And uh, then they got the fear and they didn't know what was going on. It'll take something magical to beat them. Well, stranger things have happened. Artif Bates, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, will you come back and see us again in the future? I'd love to. Thanks guys, for, for having me. I'm very much a Zero Ducks uh, kind of guy, so I like being here. And we will, of course, be rooting for Pakistan, uh, not just because, you know, you're now a friend of the podcast, but Anyone that's playing Australia, we want to win. So we'll be rooting for Pakistan in this test series. And we look forward to watching it. Artif, mate, all the best. Enjoy the rest of your night. Thanks, Cheers, mate. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Cheers guys. Cheers, Cheers, mate. Thank you. Uh, right, that is all that we have got time for. But thank you very much to Artif Nawaz. Uh, Dan's holding his finger up, so he's got one last thing to say. I have. It's a brief thing to say, but it's um, it, it, we've not talked about it all night and I can't believe we haven't because hanging over us all has been the, the spectre that we may never meet again. The vaporization of London uh, and its surroundings and indeed most of the Western world is a genuine possibility uh, in a way that it hasn't been for quite some time. And it got me thinking about Cardinal Sin, who the chief primate of the Philippines, most unaptly named chief primate there's ever been, Cardinal Sin, one of the great men. He helped to liberate the Philippines from the uh, cruel leadership of uh, Ferdinand Marcos and uh, brought in the bright lights of Corazon Aquino. And it got me thinking about if you are worried about a nuclear bomb landing on you, how much better it is to be somebody who has no faith whatsoever. And I have no faith whatsoever. So I know that... If I've got only two days left, I'm just going to sell all the things I might use to clean the house, like the Hoover. Great Hoover. I've got a brilliant Hoover recently. Sell the Hoover, sell the dishwasher, sell the washing machine, convert it into booze and drugs, 
and at least have a couple of days of fun. Whereas if you are a believer, the problem you've got is that you won't have time to repent your sins. So you've got to behave really well up to the point at which you get obliterated. So this is perhaps the only time in our lives when it's better off not believing in God. Mm. Well, do you know, it's a wonderful lesson for kids listening everywhere, Dan. So thank you for that. Right. Thank you for that. Basically, to translate for any parents who listen to this podcast in front of their children, Dan's recommending you sell all the white goods in your kitchen to buy booze and drugs. Uh, so well, I, I mean, you... I don't I don't I don't approve of drugs, <laughs> but if that's your baggage, you know, and, and you don't believe in God, then you might as well, because there, there's, you know, what's left? I mean, and, except uh, the, the very strong likelihood that you won't get vaporized and then you'd be left without a hoover and, uh, <laughs> and a really bad hangover yeah. and possibly a jail sentence. I mean, look, these are things that you've got to decide for yourself. Like, but I, mean, I think like Boris Johnson, you've got to take personal responsibility. Yes. And, and, and Finney, on that cheery note, um, just the final word to Ethel. What's Ethel up to? Disappeared back under the sofa. I think Liz was sat next to me. She wasn't clean in her bum hole, um, but I'm sure Ethel's is very clean whether, wherever she is. How no. would you, do you ever check? Is there a way of doing it? Well, not really, no. As long as they're not wiping shit all over the carpet, it's fine. There we go. Well, some really useful stuff in this week, guys. <laughs> Thanks very much. See you next week. Pleasure. Maybe. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.